Have you guys ever wondered where the idea for the mouse came from? No, not a mouse, the mouse, like the one you use to navigate your computer. Our guest today works for the company that was responsible for designing the mouse we know and love, or loved. In fact, he was in the room when Steve Jobs asked for their help designing it. Dennis Boyle is a partner and founding team member at a company called IDEO. IDEO is a design consultancy firm, and within it, Dennis helps lead the Design for Health Studio, which essentially helps clients in medical and health-related industries develop innovative physical and digital products, software, services, and strategies. He's also an adjunct professor at Stanford's D-School and in the design division of the engineering school, where he has taught courses in product design, human factors design, design for sustainability, and creativity and innovation. But what I was really interested in learning more about was a class that he teaches at Stanford called Design for Healthy Behaviors, where he and his students learn and use the design thinking process to help patient volunteers with chronic conditions build healthy behaviors and thrive in their daily lives. I was also eager to have Dennis on because he was a D1 athlete at Notre Dame and to this day enjoys running, road and mountain biking, and other outdoor sports. We talk about how to use design thinking as a quote-unquote non-designer, although after this crash course, I might reconsider. How to design for behavior or experiences and not just products. And how to create environments that support behavior change and much, 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 much more. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. This was truly one of a kind. Dennis is the person you want to talk to when it comes to all things innovation, design thinking, adaptability, change, Silicon Valley, and so much more. I hope you get as much out of this as I did. Enjoy. Welcome to Ride the Gray, a podcast about lateral thinking in which we actively seek new ways to learn about complex and dynamic systems. Thanks for listening. Let's dive right in. So maybe you can just start by sharing a little bit about what is design thinking. Okay. Well, design thinking sometimes is called human-centered design. And it's uh, at its fundamental nature and its, and its kind of root is starting with what people need, what people want, uh, what people desire. We call it kind of... Uh, we call the whole process design thinking, but it's really as opposed to some people start with technology uh, to solve problems. Other people start with kind of business factors. Uh, and so we think there's kind of, you know, three big overlapping circles, human factors, uh, uh, technical factors and business factors. And, and, you know, you can make a case for people who have had success in, in each of these, but we found that over many years uh, that we have a lot more success when you start with the human factors, you start with really understanding whoever it is that you're trying to design a solution for, no matter what, you know, what kind of category that is. So that's way, that's why we have a business at IDEO, I, my experience. So what's like a, what's one example of a way in which you can kind of point to um, look at design thinking, something that maybe we all interact with or we all use a product or some, a service that we would know and how that's been affected by design thinking. Sure. Um, 
you know, there's some kind of classic examples from our from our history. Um, if I, you know, we're well known for designing the, the first Apple mouse. Um, I was in the room when uh, Jobs came and yelled at us that he wanted a $10 mouse. We did not know what a mouse was, but we said, yes, we'll figure it out. Um, and uh, we didn't invent the mouse, but we really made one that was uh, kind of usable and was producible. And, and, and so by, by actually going out and carefully looking at what um, people needed uh, and how they tried to control a cursor on a screen, we came up with details around button the the way there was a little ball inside of it the way that you rolled it and the way you could adjust the the speed of the of the uh of the cursor and that was applied to you know the early apple mice and all mice became like it eventually and then now well we more don't use mice as much but early um insulin pens for Eli Lilly the first handheld computers for palm computing um looking at how people use them and then designing a product to match what they think they what they need and how they how they act is is and so those are sort of early product ideas but then we've done a lot more around things that are less tangible around like the how do, what's the experience of a Walgreens pharmacy uh, patient or customer or what's the experience of people in all sorts of hospitals, you know, the visitors, the patients, the healthcare providers, the, uh, you know, the, even the staff, uh, the custodial staff, everybody has needs and you're trying to design um, well, sort of how they interact and the services that they provide. And so this has been an interesting uh, ride over the last uh, 40 years of trying to apply this process to lots and lots of different things. So when you're trying to talk to and interact with people who are potentially using the product or trying to figure out what they need, what kind of questions are you asking them? Are you doing this through interviews or surveys? And how do they even know what they need? Well, that's a very good question, observation. You don't, people can't often articulate what they need. And we, we, we do interview people. But we get a lot out of sort of immersing ourselves in whatever uh, it is that people are trying to do and understanding by either doing it ourselves or watching carefully what they do and find out where they get hung up, uh, where they get they, they get stuck or where they make what we call a workaround, which is they, they, they kind of have a hack or a crutch or do something that is kind of clever. Um, just to make something work. And so you've, this early part of design projects we call design research, you're looking for inspiration. You're looking for what people, how they behave, and and then writing all this down, taking lots of video, lots of pictures, and then using it in the ideation phase, which is kind of the second part of the design phase, uh, to come up with a bunch of ideas. And then taking these ideas and then implementing them, trying them, building them, making them real, and then testing them back with the same users that you, uh, you, you got the inspiration from. 
uh, or people in that group. So that's that's kind of a very high level overview of the of the process. Oh, it sounds it sounds fascinating. I think it would be interesting to see what you guys would come up with if you were dropped into the setting that I work in. And that's kind of leads us into the next question, which is you mentioned non-tangible or intangible, you know, fields or interacting with products or people that maybe aren't necessarily a mouse, like you said before. Mm -hmm. So in my field, our product is a human, right? It's human performance. How would somebody go about design thinking when dealing with human performance and health and maybe sport? Well, I went ahead and did some research. I've been dotted line. I'm mostly on the health and medical side of things, but I we've certainly done work in this. So I, I looked up all our work. And I, so one project was with the soccer, Chicago Fire. Um, they wanted to convince new fans to come to the stadium. And so we partnered with them and looked and looked tried to help them create kind of memorable marketing campaigns to show people what they were missing or what they might see. And uh, so there are some cool things that they adopted from a design thinking process. They looked at all the, the chants that the fans that were already in the stands were saying, and they put those on all sorts of um, uh, billboards, for instance, they, 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 they honed in on personality traits like gritty and irreverent and indie and Chicago pride and so on, and, and use these as part of their outreach and marketing um, campaigns and, and show their, their players as superheroes and, and uh, kind of, you know, got outside of normal sort of communication and marketing. That was, that's one thing I found. And I, I remember we did some work for the national hockey league. And so how do you get, get people to come to the game that know about it, but haven't come back for a while. And so we put together a real naive team, nobody that had ever been to a hockey game. And we went to all sorts of hockey games and noticed things that were kind of annoying or like, a, like a hard to manage. And a couple of things got adopted, small things. But one thing that was a major find is that Americans want a winner. They want a loser. <laughs> uh, and, and so this, the big, uh, big win was we said, you guys need to have some shoot offs like other sports do. You shouldn't ever have ties. And now they do. So that was a big insight that, that came out of design research and, and uh, some testing. So that's another one. And then the NBA came and said, well, how do you get a, a season ticket fan to sign up on the second year? And, and because they were losing a lot of people after their first year. So what they've noticed some things that uh, uh, really uh, worked in a few cases. Um, sometimes the ushers became extremely personable and good at finding, uh, you know, knowing who these uh, people were, the, um, the uh, season ticket holders, and they got to be friends with them and very helpful. So they said, we're going to lean into that and hire for that kind of uh, sort of camaraderie and that kind of service and, um, uh, and, and reward people for that. And, and, and sort of as an uh, outreach and in uh, customer relations that that turned out to be a big win and had some, some upside for helping uh, seasons ticket holders keep uh, um, re-upping. So that was one thing. 
And then we, we worked for a company called Rise Science. A couple of entrepreneurs started figuring out that really uh, professional or college sports player teams and professional teams, there's a great deal of uh, lack of sleep because for any number of reasons. Um, so well, this, this is a, a startup a sleep improvement company. And the two Northwestern students, they, as we helped them create a simple sleep app and a, and a light touch coaching service. Because all these athletes, started with the Northwestern football team, really are good at, at following directions. They, they're used to being coached. So you know, part of the deal was a lot of tips and, and, uh, and uh, advice online, but, but a regular check-in on a daily basis. And then you got some devices to put on your pillow or and you're on your phone and and uh, started measuring your sleep wearables like on your wrist and started to um, find out customized tailored programs for individual athletes because everyone's slightly different and uh, and over time there was some remarkable um, improvement in sleep somewhere between thirty and forty five minutes improvement in athlete sleeps and they were starting to remember, measure performance uh, uh, Im- improvements as well. So this is a rise science is a remarkable um, client that has had, and I'm looking for their University of Alabama, Clemson, Chicago Bulls. So some of their clients now, I think they have 20 to 40 um, clients. As well. So there's a, there's a good example of kind of an intangible creating a, uh, an advantage and a better um, uh, a service that creates results. As you've kind of transitioned from, and, and not saying that you've completely transitioned, but when you think about the difference between designing better products versus designing for human behavior, what are like major insights that maybe you've kind of observed over the years in terms of what humans really want versus what they need and how it is designing with and for them? Well, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, our work has, has shifted slowly, but surely to being a majority of things in this category, we call it experience design or design for, you know, behavioral design or um, uh, design service design or uh, strategic design. Uh, So, so we, you, you have to understand, well, you have to look at, what current behaviors are and what a desired outcome is and what what is people need support to change their behaviors they need to a understand the reasons for it but b they need kind of continual support so i helped a company called omada health for instance start uh, about 10 years ago it's now a successful company called in, in what the field is called digital therapeutics which is uh I, i'm trying to help people um who have pre-diabetes avoid converting to type 2 diabetes and uh now they're in the mental health space and but the the principle is the same you, you help people through kind of a program that that's like a class but it's online um in this case, it's 16 weeks to carefully change your habits around your exercise, activity, your 
how you look at food, what foods you eat, and how you understand they affect your body. And you're measuring your weight, and you're in some cases you're measuring your blood glucose levels, and you're seeing trends over time um, as you um, learn and improve. But the thing that I think is the absolute home run, to use a sports analogy, is that there's an online class that has about 15 other people that are in your cohort, in your group, and you're seeing their performance, their improvements in weight or not, and they're seeing yours, and you're meeting with them. It's somewhat like a, a has some Weight Watchers or Alcoholic Anonymous uh, kinds of um, features, but the when you have people that are you're on your team, so to speak, and there you start pulling for each other and you start helping each other and you start saying, what's going on? Well, how come you're going, you're, you're gaining weight and how come things aren't so, and so there's this peer support. There's this, uh, this um, camaraderie. There's a team, team spirit, team teamsmanship. I'm trying to consciously use sports and <laughs> I, yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> but but, but it, this is really what what people want to they want to do things for for things outside their own personal gain. Um, when it really comes down to some, what motivates people, I mean, personal gain is one thing. But if you're if you're part of a a, a group, you you don't want to be the last one you you want to you don't want to let everyone down and so there's every kind of um uh, successful behavioral design project that i've ever been associated with has some elements of this this accountability to others uh and people try to do it with apps and bots and things but that doesn't that's not very successful in my opinion somewhat but mostly they want other people to notice if they're being successful or if notice if they're not being successful and sort of they want to give support and offer support um and so there's something about this accountability when you're designing a service to improve your behavior improve your outcomes and health and, and weight and performance and uh it's 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 very um notable and i think it it almost has to be there in some some way well what you just said is very important to me because i obviously work in a team environment with a team sport and i would tell you that a lot of our athletes by and large by the time i see them they know what they should be doing they know they should be getting enough sleep they know they should be eating the right things they you know they're elite athletes in a lot of ways what we have a hard time doing is getting them to take the initiative on their own and want to learn and become more autonomous with the choices that they make and then be consistent with those behaviors. Like you said, creating habits around them. If you were coaching me as a designer, what questions might I ask to those athletes to encourage an environment that supports learning, autonomy, et cetera, in their process? Well, I mean, you first have to kind of gain a little bit of trust. And um, I think you're going to ask me about this, but I'm, I'm going to flip over to my class I teach, which is called Design for Healthy Behaviors. It's in the D school at Stanford. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, we, we, um, 
I have a physician who has her own clinic called the um, Stanford Coordinated Care Clinic. It's over there in the Hoover Pavilion. She has about 500 patients, and they're they, she and a couple other physicians. They all they all have chronic conditions, um, and so they're all trying to manage conditions while they're being parents or grandparents or or being children, you know, younger people. And so there's, you have to, if you're going to try to help somebody, um, you, you try to have to get to know them and get, understand their past and, and some of their motivations. What, what really is it that they love to do and want to do and wish they could do? And, you know, maybe, want to get back to doing or wish they could try something new you just have to you have to spend it takes at least weeks of mm-hmm. meeting and sometimes it's really months and you have to become sort of there's some some trusted relationship there so i would ask you really sort of what what are what are some of your goals that are that are in all over the map just to sort of get a bigger picture of what you wish for yourself over the next year or two or 10 years you know what are some of your long-term goals what is what motivates you what really brings you joy and sort of a thrill and happiness and and it's different for different people um and you usually have to kind of get to a point where they a person that you're working with trusts you and they start opening up and and you get to as a designer um with this class i teach I have two graduate students, and they work with a person that has a, um, a chronic condition, often like diabetes or heart disease or managing cancer or their Parkinson's, or you go down the list of all the things you don't really want to have, but they <laughs> do. And, uh, and, and so for you know two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, a month, sometimes it takes a while, but gradually these patients kind of open up to um, the graduate students. Uh, and, and by the way, the, the grad students have also work they have to perform for the class. Uh, they're, they're trying to improve their own health and they get advice from the, uh, from the patient volunteers. And so it's kind of a two way street. And by, I notice this very reliably with most, you know, two students and one patient volunteer after about a month, they become, they get to know each other and they become friends. And they really start working with each other to help improve each other's, uh, you know, outcomes or help them get to their goals. And the, the designers who are from all the graduate schools have to, they are supposed to create one or two or three prototypes, behavioral, you know, prototypes to test each week, which could be like a gratitude journal or sort of a, you know, a, 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 a spreadsheet that you you put marked on all the things you eat uh, or on or your weight or um, but the things that really work are you know trying to st- help these people establish um, connections with their friends and family that are better than what they have usually because they're sometimes they're kind of stuck they've they're managing their families and they're managing their their condition and they, they kind of lose sort of this the social factor that um people thrive and with and 
And so we get them to walk with their children or walk with their parents uh, on a daily basis and take a picture or something, whatever they're seeing, or go out and the students shop with the patients and they make meals together and, and talk about why this is a better way to eat the Mediterranean style or something versus whatever else there is. And, uh, you know, say what they want to stop smoking. So, well, let's, let's see if we can record every single time you smoke and, and let's look at a trend there and let's, let's, let's make substitutes. And, you know, I want to stop drinking 10 Cokes a day. Well, let's try to drink eight a day and substitute this. And, you know, there's just endless sort of behavioral prototypes that you, you start trying when you, people trust you to, to, and, and, and you, something, some things you start to stick. Um, it's it's so, kind of psychology in, in many ways. When, uh, when I hear you talking about that last piece there of trying a lot of different things, it sounds a lot to me like the iterative mindset or an iterative design kind of view where you have a couple hypotheses or experiments that you want to run and you try them and then you get feedback and maybe you pivot or you adapt. Is iterative mindset or iterative design, is that similar to design thinking or where does that kind of fit in? It's just part of it. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe some people think it's different, but it's really part of the ideation and express test cycle, we call it, which is, you know, you, after you're kind of understanding the problem and uh, in the early phase of a project, then you have to come up with literally hundreds of ideas and what might solve the problem. And they can be really big you know, kind of hairy ideas or little tiny little fixes and or everything in between. And then, you know, I've heard this saying that you get one point for talking about it, but you get nine points for doing it. So you really have to actually get in there and try a bunch of prototypes. So with my class, they start prototyping the second and third week and you're Ideally, you make two or three prototypes a week and you try them all and see what sticks. And you, these are informed by the, the fact that you're starting to know the, the, your, your patient, your patient volunteer, or you're starting to realize what, what might work. But sometimes these things fall flat on their face and even the patients will admit, well, yeah, I did say I wanted that, but I, I really don't like doing that. I'm not sure what I want. And so you, sometimes you have to you know, strike out there with a little bit of informed uh, intuition and try things. And, and uh, yes, it's a, iteration is, is extremely important. You go very wide and inevitably you'll find something that has a little traction. And then you build on that and you try, you know, that, that category a little further. Um, you know, this, there's physical, there's, there's, um, you know, uh, act, act, activities, and but the thing that really seems to stick is things that are around emotional and and, and kind of get, getting to people's innermost needs around being social. And so, if you can mix social with some of the things that they should be doing that are in the activity space and the better diet space and the better sleep space and the, and uh, you know being a little bit more introspective uh it's things start to you get more you get a little better traction this way
I imagine that a lot of the people that you're working with that come to you or in your class that you're trying to solve for, they're probably coming to you because other things haven't worked in the past. So I imagine that requires some creativity and that's why the design mindset or the design thinking strategy works so well. How do you promote creativity in a designer or is that something that's inherent? And like, do you encourage crazy ideas too or how do you do that? Well, there... Well, that's a um, very good question and observation. Uh, you, you know, creativity is something that we feel in this business can be taught. It's like a language. It's like a sport. It's like you just ha- you can get good at it. And brainstorming as a process is something that's, that you really want to get good at. And brainstorming in groups or, or together uh, with at least another person is really um, the way to go, as we've discovered. But but so there, we have these rules um, that you know there's seven different there's seven rules. But the first one is defer judgment, meaning that you have a brainstorming session for an hour or an hour and a half. I just got off of one about thirty minutes ago. Um, you, you you anything goes. You, you have a problem statement, a how might we statement, we call them. But but anything is you you know, you you save the judgment until later. Get as many ideas out there as you can. And the second rule is is um, encourage wild ideas. We sometimes we we just take the mo- the wildest ideas and force um, design teams you know encourage them just to build on those because they're more disruptive. They're more they're more out there. They're more um, kind of unexpected and that's that sometimes gets you in a, a mindset where you're inventing something a, a service or product of an experience that hasn't been there before it's not just a, a slight increment so um yes encouraging wild ideas is sort of the second most uh, important uh, rule of brainstorming so this is a, a podcast about lateral thinking which in many ways is a form of not necessarily wild thinking, but different thinking, right? Is purposely going into other domains and pulling ideas from alternate professions or people and trying to just get out of your own way, I think. Um, is there any you know instance or story you can share about how you've used lateral thinking or pulled an idea from a different field to help your own? Well, we, we call that analogous um, uh, research. Uh, and that's a pretty big part of how we do things. And so um, we did some work for uh, like uh, FedEx and there's a, the centers where you're moving packages around and, and, and trying to be organized about where packages go. We've got some inspiration from looking at very well designed kitchens where all the, you know, you're constantly making meals when there's a big staff moving in and out and moving, you know, new ingredients in and moving uh, meals out. And so that, that was, that's one thing that comes to mind. We also did work in an operating room and we got inspiration uh, from watching a NASCAR pit crew and what came out of uh, some of the NASCAR pit crew observations was the fact that people had a very distinct um, job, but they were cross-trained in a couple of things in case there was kind of 
an emergency or somebody mm. uh, couldn't perform. And we also had a lot of redundant. They also had a lot of redundant equipment. Like if the air hammer didn't work, there was a second one or a third one. If the jack didn't work, there's a second and third one. And and uh, so we we applied that to some of the way that operating rooms were were set up, so that uh, you'd have this kind of very very um, predictable fast uh, uh, experience. So, and uh, so yeah, that's that's a kind of a well time honored process for um, design thinking is to look for analogous uh, kinds of services or experiences and see what they're doing over there to see if you could bring it across laterally as you say i'm now i'm going to turn this to you personally dennis i know that you have many interests outside of what you do for work you're very active you love to ride bikes and i think you run still yeah do you have any other interests or I would even venture to say hobbies that you tend to pull from sometimes in your work because they transfer in in certain ways? Well, um, I think the running and riding, you know, you, you, um, you have, if you want to be decent at it, you just have to do it consistently, you know, just every day. Um, and, uh, I like to compete, especially in running. So you, and what I find is if you put some, like, I'm going to run the 1500 meters in the senior games on November 15th. I've been trying to work out of a bunch of injuries the last year or two, but so, well, I'm going to see how that feels. Um, but uh, I find if you put, uh, well, competition for sure, but if you have a, a Sunday morning ride with your friends, well, you're, you're, you make sure your bike's in order and your gear's in order and you, um, and you maybe take a, a ride or two during the week just to kind of be, you know, kind of slightly loose and sharp. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, uh, practice just, there's just no substitute for it. And, you know, and, and so, you know, I like to hike, I like to, sail i race sailboats too and so you got to get out there and 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 kind of keep yourself sharp and and do it with other people so you can see how they do things um and uh it's it becomes social uh and and so i hope that's kind of an answer yeah do you find yourself applying the design thinking mindset to your own training or habits in your own life yeah, I, I think it's like I really make, I keep extensive notebooks of my uh, performance on, on, in races of every length of, and then hills riding up the bikes. Um, I, I write down what seems to work. Um, and I, I be, observe a lot of myself from what I'm wearing, what shoes are working, what, uh, you know, what kind of, sports drinks i have what kind of uh, you know kind of when the last meal was i sort of become very observant and, and record lots of facts and figures to see if i can notice any any trends that are either positive or or negative and uh that's something that's come out of my design and engineering background i believe that's that's fascinating i uh I might need to start taking some more notes on uh, my workouts since apparently 
I uh, have been missing that that in my well, it's, it's, You can go back. I can go back to 19, the 80s and see what I was doing and how fast I rode up um, Golda Honda or, or they, but 20 different hills around the bay that I record times on. I've done it for 30 years. I'm sure it would. I'm sure it's humbling. I know that would humble me if I looked back on my training yeah. numbers from years ago. Well, it humbles me. It's sort of like, well, it, I can see the aging process going on right now. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, that's what is better than not doing it. So that's uh, true. Can I can I go back to something you said earlier, which is the how might we question? Can you explain the how might we question and maybe um, tell us more about that? Yeah, it's a it's a kind of a, a small designer's mindset trick um, uh, that that is useful to get into the habit of, and that is when you're trying to uh, create a problem statement to work on to 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 have a brainstorming session on for instance or or just to initiate a a, a, a project uh, um, a quest uh, you we 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 have very few acronyms but we shorten this to hmw but but uh how might we is kind of it you can't really have an answer built into a, a question with when you start with an open-ended uh manner like uh, how might we um, so sometimes the what if or what is the future of also will apply here but it's like you, you want these questions to be open uh ended enough so that you know almost anything goes um in the early parts of a of a of a problem like how here's one how might we enable a bystander to defibrillate a person uh, that's having a cardiac arrest. That was one that we used to create the, um, the automatic electronic defibrillators in the, in the 90s. There were no such thing before. So it's a whole new category of, of devices that were out there. Um, how might we enable uh, patients to better manage their blood glucose levels with a connected device? Um, so the whole point was all these blood glucometers you had to write these things down in a notebook. Well, we helped uh, uh, Bayer and Estancia connect them to your smartphone. So every time you took a reading, it started making a graph, and 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 it would tell you uh, instantly by color if you were high or low. And uh, it's a whole, you know, the first breast pump that is that mothers wear. There's no wires or hoses or cables. Uh, um, those are a couple of ideas there. One, one we did, how might we improve the experience of young patients with schizophrenia? And these are, uh, this is a, another, this is a whole area of this digital therapeutics. And these patients are told by their care teams to, to try to accomplish some certain goals and try to stay on their medications. And then when you accomplish them, share these things. And so they, we help make a piece of software that, that, these patients um, use to keep track of all their symptoms, all their their situations, and then share them with their care team or their family or their friends. And so, um, yeah, that, that's the, the you start with something kind of 
fairly broad and then then you start to narrow in as the as the project goes along is there a way to know once whether or not you have enough ideas to take it to the next stage i guess like how do you know when it's time to move past the ideate into the prototype well it's usually i usually answer that kind of question by nobody ever comes to us and says here Here's all the money you need and all the time you not you want. <laughs> Usually it's like an eight-week, 10-week project, and it's got to be great at the end of that. So you really have to be disciplined. You have to start with this design research for the first two, three, four weeks, and then you have an ideation phase for the next two or three, four weeks, and then you have a uh implementation phase where you're building, testing, trying stuff. And all these things overlap. So you have to be extremely disciplined about your your timing or else you run out of budget and run out of time and you're not done. So we've you, as a designer in this kind of field you get good at managing your time very well. And you know, you start it can't help but even in the early phases even during your design research you start having ideas and so you put them down and you start making prototypes. You start of testing things early on we call them sacrificial prototypes because you don't really know enough to have them like be very well thought out but you start it starts the creative um, process and and uh but in the end you really you don't have a business if you don't perform in the time that you said you were going to do it and the budget you said you were going to do it and so that's a bit of discipline that's absolutely required for success in this design business so there's a, you know, there's a quote, which is, I'm sure you've heard it a million times. If, if it doesn't embarrass you, you've probably waited too long. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you think about that? And is there ever an idea that you had that maybe was a little bit embarrassing to you that you came up with? There's a, another quote by like Einstein, like if a person, if at first an idea doesn't seem stupid, then there's no hope or something like that. I think <laughs> there are similar things. A lot of kind of crazy ideas come out. You think about how you can pr- provide the service in person sometimes, and that, that's not really practical long term. But sometimes it, it it's it's a good way to like play act. Um, um, remember that it's a VRBO people. I remember this story that the, the founder decided just to pick up. His, his his clients at the airport and drive them back to their home and get to know them and then check in on them. It's like super service. Service turned up to 11, he called it, I think. Um, and to try to really understand what people valued and, and uh, you know, this, and he learned that some people really value this, you know, not having to worry about how to get to the VRBO. So he added that as a part of a service but at first you think that that's kind of over the top isn't it but i think you have to actually practice a lot of over the top things when you have a, in your in your design process when it's it's okay to kind of be ridiculous or fail or like uh, fail often to succeed sooner is another one of our little sayings where you're you're trying a bunch of wacky stuff that won't won't probably make it but it might inform you of something that that might or designed a shopping cart one time. And, you know, maybe we should help kids ride them around for fun, or maybe we should uh, um, 
you know, help people have a have a radio on the shopping cart so you can call the front of the store and ask for directions for for something you're looking for. Um, you know, anything goes in this first first ideation part of the process is kind of what I'm trying to make a point on. I think this is super helpful because at least in my field and hopefully the people that are listening to this um, will resonate as well. This design mindset is not the default. We are not taught this way of thinking and, you know, curiosity and creativity and getting something out there before it's ready. Those are not natural to us. And so I think just even listening to the way that you're talking about thinking about an idea and brainstorming and asking questions and no idea is too crazy or too big. These are super helpful um, insights. Is there anything else that you would add that for, for somebody who's just getting started in trying to adopt a design mindset that you would suggest trying to kind of get out of their own way, get out of their own typical ways of thinking? Well, um, you know, it's, it's, it's more productive and more fun to do this with other people, to do this in, with a partner or with a small group. And you, you, you know, give yourself a small amount of time, like a 45 minutes or an hour, where you just, you just kick around ideas and write them down. Get these Post-its, get Sharpie pens, write down ideas as you have them, and then and again, don't 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 judge them while you have them. Don't shut people down because you think some idea won't work or it's kind of silly. You kind of want you want those ideas because those sometimes prompt things that might work that are new and uh, more un- unusual. Uh, but doing this with a partner or a small group, I found to be very effective. And write all your ideas down so at the end of it, you have a big pile of post-its or a big list. And then you can start to say, well, okay, now we're going to try some of these things. Let's, let's work on these. You know, sometimes we have posted little dots, little stickers that we put on all the ideas and people vote on them. And the ones that get the most votes, the top five or 10, then you, you make little experiential prototypes or little physical prototypes. Or you're like, how are we going to try to see if this idea works? And, and, and so give yourself permission to spend some time trying some things that might not be so uh, intuitive, that might be slightly different than the business as usual or the, the process that you're used to. Because that's where, well, that's for big inventions, big old businesses, whole parts of, uh, of new experiences come from. Well, Dennis, thank you so much. I want to be respectful of your time and I've already gotten so much. So this is great. Um, thank you again for coming on our podcast. Sure. There's lots of good books out there. Some from IDO, the, the, the Art of Innovation and the Ten Faces of Innovation and Creative Confidence. But there's a lot out there. One of my physician friends did one called Health Design Thinking. It's just awesome. If you go on the IDEO site or IDEO.org has a the, the design thinking toolkit for free, you can get down as a podcast uh, or no, as a, as a, as a PDF. And uh, IDEO, IDEOU has courses online and, and so does MIT. And so there's, if 
if you're interested in this, uh, there's a lot of resources, a lot of ways to learn. And, and uh, well, Stanford has all sorts of great design programs too. So, uh, yeah, well, maybe we can have some people look into taking your yeah. class or other classes at the D school, but thank you so much. We'll definitely link all that stuff in the show notes. So that if anybody is interested, but I personally will be looking into getting some of those books. All right. All right. Well, until next time, thank you again. Sure thing. Bye for now. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Dennis as much as I did. He is truly one of a kind. But before I let you go, I have one final request. We would love to hear from you. Specifically, do you guys enjoy these interview type podcasts? Or do you like the ones where Travis and I sit down and digest a topic together? As we're planning for future seasons and future episodes, we want to provide the content that's going to be most useful to you as the listener. So hit us up on social media. Ride the Gray is our Instagram and Twitter handle or on email. Ride the Gray, gray with an E at gmail.com. Leave us a review, rate us, subscribe, you know, all the things that podcasters normally ask you to do. That's important, but honestly, It would help us more to know what is of value to you at this moment so that we can bring you more of that. Until next time, find a way to ride the gray.